Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. In this week's episode, we start with our background in college and our work history. Then we kind of jump into where we let off last week, where we talk about our self-worth, our struggles with trying to find value within our everyday lives, I guess. Self-acceptance. That's a big one. And then we share that there's a book that we're going to start reading together and discussing in future episodes. Yep. Enjoy. All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode 29 of Startup Struggles. My name is James Park, and virtually across from me is... Sean Lee. So we want to continue with kind of our background. This week, we will start with just, I guess, where we went to college and a little bit of our work history. Yeah, and so I'll start. I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I graduated with a biopsychology and cognitive science degree. It's very psychology-focused. It's like the study of psychology in the mind, but more on the chemical side of what parts of your brain fire and how they wire together when you think about certain things. And my work background was all over the place. I wanted to go to law school first, so I was a paralegal in New York for a few years first. Then I went into consulting, went to Deloitte, to Deloitte Tax particularly, and did strategic tax method advisory changes for Fortune 500 companies. I was kind of a, I was an analyst. I looked at a lot of data, figured out how companies paid for things, and then read into the tax laws to figure out how to save the money. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I had a good time. If anyone's working as a consultant at a big four firm, you might hate it now. But actually, as I left, I was like, I think I like this company. I had a lot of good times. Then I went into the whole startup world, jumped from startup to startup in San Francisco, did a bunch of different things, mainly in operations and product, working with engineering product to improve the product that we were building. And went to Vietnam for a couple of years, joined a small startup out there, learned how to code. And now I'm back spending most of my time writing. That's my brief journey. Sean, how about you? Yeah, I... um. Went to the rival school, Michigan State University. <laughs> Just kidding. And I studied finance and accounting. I was initially an accounting major. And then I just realized, you know, I love accounting, but I didn't want to become an accountant for life. And I realized that because I learned that to keep your CPA degree or your, your accreditation, you have to keep practicing it. You don't get to keep that title forever. Mm-hmm. I was like, screw that. <laughs> <laughs> And so I ended up just finishing off school with a finance degree. And I happened to graduate during a time where finance was terrible. It was during the, at the time of the 07 auto industry collapse in Michigan, and then subsequently the 08 subprime mortgage crisis or the great recession, as they call it. I only say that because I was looking at the ballot and someone wrote in their description, you know, I grew up during the great recession. I was like, what? Wait, you grew up in the 30s? So how old are you? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, well, oh, that was a Great Depression. This Great Recession's in reference to, to 08. 
And I was like, oh, that's what it was called. Totally forgot. But yeah, I graduated with a finance degree into a non-friendly work environment. Luckily, got a job out in LA. I kind of forced myself to move to LA just because I wanted like a new environment with new people. I love my friends, but everybody moved to Chicago or New York for finance jobs. And I just thought, you know, they'll always be my friends. Why not try out a new place? Sunny California, here I come. So I packed up my car, drove out with a friend without a job or a place. Nice. And uh, that's the way to do it. Yeah, found a place the first week and then applied for jobs. And because I thought, you know, how am I going to apply for jobs? I'm not out there, right? This is back in the day, pre-Zoom, pre-Zoom <laughs> interviews. And then I landed a job in invest relations, which is finance related. Did that for a little over two years. Then joined a, a biotech startup that was doing some really interesting stuff with microfluidics. I just had an interest in, in startup. And so I wanted to learn more what that life was like, similar to you. And there was a business development opportunity. So it's kind of a great start. And then as I was working that startup, my really good friends, Phil and Anthony, they approached me talking about a e-commerce startup that they had just launched and they asked me to join. And so we started Xenon Supply back in 09 and we kind of rode the wave of YouTube. You know, YouTube started blowing up in 08, 09 and we just had this odd intuition that, hey, we should shoot do-it-yourself how-to videos showing people how to, to do stuff on their cars, like change out light bulbs, really simple things, like change out every single light bulb in every single car. And the, how we differentiate ourselves with most people just shoot one car because the process is the same. It's like, this is how you unscrew a light bulb, you know, and rescrew a light bulb. But we thought it wasn't about the actual light bulbs, about showing people where the light bulb was, how to access the light bulb, how to take off a panel for their specific car. And so we differentiate ourselves by shooting a video for every single year, make a model or generation. And we ended up building, you know, multi-million dollar business out of that, just selling automotive aftermarket accessories that we were just like, well, okay, we know how to do this. Let's just do a couple more. So we tried starting like four or five more different e-commerce companies and most of them failed, <laughs> <laughs> but two succeeded. And that's really all we needed. Dude, that's pretty good. Even if you did 10, two succeeded, that's a pretty good rate. Still batting all right, right? Yeah. One thing I have to add is that when we started the startups, all of us were still working full-time and we subsequently worked full-time you know, at our day job for like 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. It was different for each of us. And then before we kind of jumped ship, before the company was making enough money to, for us to quit and do this full-time. And then I wanted to get into tech because e-commerce is not really tech. We're moving physical goods. And so in 2011, 2012, I was introduced to the concept of co-working spaces. This is before WeWork was a thing or became a household name, I should say. And I opened up a co-working space in downtown LA to expose myself to more entrepreneurs, especially tech entrepreneurs. This is before like product management was a huge thing back then. It was just like really just programmers and designers. <laughs> that was like the people that went to co-working spaces. Did that for a couple of years, ended up getting out of all the businesses, selling out of all of them, and then went to business school to really break into tech by going to a school up in the Bay, going up to Berkeley for my MBA, which was a weird decision because you always get questioned as an entrepreneur, like, why would you go spend 100K to an MBA, right? Go do something else with that money, right? Go start another business. But for me, it was more like buying a membership 
into like a private country club. You can get to like a top 10 business school. It's just, it has a really rich network. And to me, 100K is the cheapest lifetime fee for one-time payment for like lifetime membership <laughs> for a country club. It's a good way to think about it. Yeah, and that's how I tell people, like if you go into business school or any kind of degree for that kind of purpose, then I think your ROI long-term will be much higher with that kind of mentality. I mean, this can be applied to any grad school that you go to. It's really all about the, the network. It's the people that you meet. It's how you grow the relationships with these people. And some of these can become very fruitful. Yeah. I mean, the education is great, but you can get any of that education online these days. Let's just be real. And then when people say like, oh, I'm going for this professor, you're not going for what he teaches. You're going for that connection, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. His or her connections. And so that's something really to keep in mind. And it's a lot of work because you're putting all this money in and people really expected to just like get value out of it because I'm paying for it. But why I stress this networking is that you have to put even more work in beyond your money to get the value out of it. And so I ended up starting a podcast while I was there to help people network and connect people through stories. And that ultimately led me to start the two podcast startups, Alumni FM, where we are a podcast production company that produces this podcast, and Clever FM, which is like a podcast technology platform. Yeah. What listeners should take away from this is that really everyone's path is, is your own. It's windy. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely windy. It'll feel like you're taking either no change or going backwards, but you can really only connect the dots in life in retrospect. The fact that Sean and I, we were both from Michigan. We both went to school there. We moved to opposite sides of the coast after graduation, went through the same kind of great recession periods. And if you really boil down to what we did, we both were doing startups. And the reason why this podcast the startup struggles is not just about startup companies, but honestly, if you think about both of us, we are individual startups. Mm -hmm. And I think a really good book, if people are thinking about how to jumpstart their own careers or kind of the startup of your own life, is to look at the book, The Startup of You by Reid Hoffman. He's the LinkedIn co-founder. And this book really teaches you to think about yourself as a company. And I think that's what each of us kind of did. Like Sean's path is his own startup and my path is my own. And everyone kind of goes through the winding path of life to end up where they are here today. So yeah, it's kind of crazy because we went our separate ways and somehow 20 years later doing a show. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, again, just another beginning, another fork in the road, and who knows what this might lead down to. Mm -hmm. You might become like a radio personality someday. <laughs> <laughs> just like you. Yeah. You're already a radio personality in the alumni network. Yeah. I mean, who, who knows where this path will lead us, but overall, kind of continue our conversation for the previous weeks. I'm feeling a lot better, and I'm feeling a lot better because I've been having some really difficult conversations with people close to me and sorting out the issues that I've been dealing with around self-worth, mostly around self-worth. <laughs> yeah. And in some ways, it sounds weird that I needed this validation from some of my friends, investors and whatnots, and, and just really close friends. But it was good that when I shared the news that I need to prioritize my health, 
and family that nobody balked at it. Like everybody was like, yeah, absolutely. That's like number one priority. Mm -hmm. Because I, I was really feeling ashamed and pathetic that I couldn't prioritize my work and entrepreneurship first anymore. I think the shame is from not necessarily being able to prioritize it, but you physically couldn't do it. Yeah. That was another struggle was just like physically feeling handicapped. Yeah. Yeah. And feeling shameful about it. I mean, I don't mean to minimize like people's handicaps. Like I, I look fine, right? I'm not really that disabled, but I have my own disability, minor disability in my own way. And it feels very shameful to have a disability for some reason. Well, especially when it comes in a mental form, not really a physical form, like you were saying. A lot of people consider depression and anxiety a actual mental disease. And it's hard to admit that because it doesn't manifest in a physical way. It's only, it's just one day you just can't do things the way that you normally could. You don't know why. And you just spiral from there. It's like, why can't I get up in the morning? Why can't I do the things that I normally could do? Why can't I just go to work and be happy and be able to power through all the stuff that I used to be able to do. I think that's the hard thing about depression is that it it's a gradual thing. It's not a light switch where all of a sudden there's light and then it's just dark. It's very gradual. The sun is setting and then all of a sudden you're just in the dark and you're like, what the hell just happened? Well, it's really interesting that you say that it's not physical. I mean, I think long-term it will become physical. It will manifest itself in form of, you know, of Bell's palsy for me or like cancer or whatever it is, right? But the irony is like, you don't want it to get there. Right. Right. Yeah. Like the whole idea is like, I don't want to have it manifest physically. Yeah. But at the same time, you kind of almost want it to manifest physically so that you can prove or show yeah. that you're not well. So it's very fucked up <laughs> in, in that way. I don't know if you ever felt that. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. But I think the thing that I'm trying to, root out is even that kind of thinking or mindset is destructive, is self-destructive because then you're still seeking approval. You're seeking something externally versus saying like, I recognize this internally and I don't need to prove this to anybody. I don't even need to prove it to myself. Actually, I, I don't have to because it's in my head, right? But I don't need to prove this to somebody else that, hey, I'm going through something. Is it you almost need validation that something is wrong from not someone just for yourself. No, I'm saying you shouldn't. The fact that you do need that, then you're, it's actually destructive. It's actually a vicious cycle. Because if you need to see that validation, you almost make it worse so that it, that something does happen so that someone notices you for that. It's like, oh, James, you're not, you're not healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting actually, because I think for a long time, I, um, I hid depression a lot. I didn't want to show people that I was sad. I didn't want to show people that I was depressed or that things were bad. And I just wanted to get through it by myself. Maybe there's something here where it's not necessarily that I was trying to be validated. I needed the help. I didn't know how to ask for it. And I didn't know how to explain what I was going through. Yeah. And I was lucky, right? I was able to go through it in, in the way that I needed to, which was... I moved countries. I isolated myself heavily. I cocooned. I cut ties with a lot of people. 
And sometimes you need to do that. Like I had a lot of toxic relationships that it took me a while to understand that I have to let this go. And yeah, it wouldn't have happened without really just having to sit down and figure out like why I was like this and almost accept that it was okay to be like this. I think that was like a big problem too. And going back to the shame, you feel ashamed. And that is, it's just like guilt. It's guilt. You're like, I shouldn't feel like this, but you do and you can't help it. And I think once you kind of, you're just accepting the fact that this is how it is, then you can figure out what are the next things that you can start to do instead of trying to ignore it or feeling guilty that you're there or just feeling like pity for yourself for being in this situation. Right. Totally. I totally agree with that. And I felt the same way. I, I've, when people ask me like, how you doing? I'm like, eh, I don't really want to bum me out. Yeah. I'm doing fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm great. I'm good. Let's move on to some another topic. Yeah. And you know, we've been trying to create a culture at Clever, especially my co-founder was like, when we were talking about this before, it's like, it's totally okay to say you're not okay. But then like, I still feel guilty about it because I'm, I feel like I'm putting an undue burden on somebody that frankly, they, again, I'm projecting here. They didn't really ask. Right. They didn't really ask. Right. Yeah. The how are you is not a real question. It's just a, it's a greeting. Right. Well, I think for some people, like Servi, like he actually does genuinely care. Mm -hmm. I think for most people, that's just a greeting. It's like, hey, <laughs> how's it going? Yeah. Maybe it's a work thing. Maybe it's different when you're with someone that you can really talk openly about and you have that friendship where you can. That's true. The how are you is very, because you and I, we, we greet each other like that, but we know. Yeah. If you ask me, how's it going? Or I ask you, how's it going? And you like, unload on me for an hour. Like, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. So it, maybe it's situational. Like, I would be like, oh my God, that James, I was not <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> like, Fucking ruined my morning. <laughs> what was the point of this? <laughs> Never going to ask, how's it going again? But I think you're right. I think this is the one thing I've been I was saying all morning to you. And one thing, like I keep catching myself, like we have a human tendency to want to bundle things together. I think it's from, from an efficiency standpoint, when we're like being eaten by lions, like you need to just bundle decisions or judgment. What I mean by that's like, we like to simplify and say, oh, like all people that ask, how's it going? It's like, no, it's really just a greeting. But you're absolutely right. Like in a work setting, probably, yeah, just a greeting. But in a friend setting, no, we actually want to hear, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. When you mentioned the whole bundling thing, maybe that's why we also answer, oh, things are good. Because in, in a bundled sense, of viewing the world as is, you're like, oh, we're, we're, we're okay. Yeah. We're on average doing pretty good. Right. And so you think that man, that's a good answer. Like, how are you? I'm in all things considered doing okay. Yeah. That's very true. Oh boy. That's very true. But, um, I feel very grateful that I have really good friends, really, really supportive friends like you. Oh, thanks. To help me through this period. And no, I really mean it. It's been a really tough and rough two weeks. And like I said, like sometimes people as close as you as like your co-founder, it's hard to be very honest and open with them, even though you need to be. Yeah. Because you don't want to bring them down. Right. Let's say like Mink, my wife, it's just like, well, we still have to be parents. Like I want to bring her down. I feel like somebody still needs to be strong for our son. But then again, that's a projection. That's a projection that you're going to bring them down. Yeah. You're kind of projecting that they can't handle it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that's fair either. Like, dude, people can handle it. 
And I think people want to handle it because it gives them a sense of contribution, actually makes them feel like stronger too, I feel like, to be able to help you. Right. And you should be able to take turns of when you're able to lift somebody up and they'll do the same for you in a vice versa scenario. Hmm. Right? It can't always be one person in the relationship. I mean, I think that's when a friendship or a relationship could really sour is if it's only one person that's always doing the lifting. And maybe a relationship is really even when it's both. And that's when things are healthy. That's true. It's so interesting. I think that's what we ended our, our last episode on theme is just like, it's not about your happiness or my happiness, but our collective happiness. Because like the end, end theme of the courage to be happy. Oh, and speaking of like, just a tangent off of, you're saying you're grateful for your friends. Yeah. I've been thinking about this too, is I have been believing that wealth is not just in form of income or money or monetary means. Last week, we were talking about income a lot and our value associated with that. And this weekend, I got to see a lot of good friends. I actually hung out with Kathy, the one person who keeps talking to me about each episode. But I got to <laughs> hang out with her and saw a bunch of old friends also in Los Angeles. And um, I was thinking that I'm actually wealthy in that way. Yeah. I, I have a lot of wealth. I talk to you each week. I have a weekend where I can see a lot of people and they're really grateful to see me and we actually get to catch up. And, and I was like, wow, I'm friendship wealthy. Yeah. And so it was really hard for me for a long time, especially being unemployed for so long without an income to feel any value or feel any wealth. Right. But when I started to believe that I have friends who actually care and who make me feel a sense of value, of belonging, of social community. I was like, oh, I am wealthy in this way. And so just something people can listen and be grateful about. Yeah. And something we, we talked about last week, right? It's like income is at its core a sense of contribution, right? Then exchange of value that I'm giving my time and skills for in exchange for money. Yeah. You can conversely, I think that's the important thing to remember, like you can also give time and your expertise in social settings, like supporting me. You're contributing something oh, yeah. to my well-being. And I think that's a good thing that we can feel good about that. And I think that's important. Going back to your point, it needs to be this give and take, not explicitly like that, but it needs to be like this because you're giving, like I'm giving you an opportunity to contribute. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that makes you feel good <laughs> when it opened up to you and asked for help. Right. Yeah. It builds a sense of community. We've touched on this too, where it's about what you can provide, contributing in one way or another. Yeah. And our friendship has developed a lot from that because we each contribute to like how we feel better each week, even though oddly we meet each week to talk about sometimes how shitty our last week was. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is that we're never going to stop feeling shitty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think if we can feel good majority of the time, I, I consider that a win. 51% of the time, I'm coming out ahead. Yeah, that's pretty good. In Vegas. No joke. Like that's the house's odds, right? In Vegas. Like for them to come out, they just need to come up 51% long-term. That's true. And so I feel like with this podcast, with our relationship, how we're able to help each other, even help other people potentially like, feel pretty good about it. 
Something I wanted to share with our audience, we are going to start reading a book together, James and I. I've heard of this book many times before, never really looked into it. It's called Rad Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it was written, I think, in, in the early 2000s. Yeah, it came out in 2003. A recent podcast guest of mine on the One House podcast, he started a company around mental health consulting for corporations, and he highly recommended this book. And I checked it out, and the, the title immediately grabbed me, like the subtitle, actually. It said, Radical Acceptance. The subtitle is Awakening the Love that Heals Fear and Shame. And I was like, wow, that hits it to the core for the past two weeks, having felt a lot of shame. Hey, what, what did you say? You said, I feel like radical acceptance was written for me at this very moment in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The description of the book, it says, in the West, most of us have suffered the fear of not being good enough, feeling insecure about our appearance, our sexuality, our intelligence, our spiritual progress, or often, most importantly, being worthy of love. And yeah, I think it's uh, very on point to what I'm feeling and I think what I've been struggling with for quite a while, just this being worthy of self-worth, as I mentioned earlier. And yeah, James and I are going to start reading this book and hopefully discuss it, <laughs> our learnings in a, in a coherent way. <laughs> yeah. So if any listeners, if you guys want to join, I think Sean's just a little bit ahead of me. I haven't started yet, so I'll start today. It's May 23rd as we record this. And to be clear, it seems like she's written two books about radical acceptance. The one that we're reading is Awakening the Love That Heals Fear and Shame. And there's a follow-up one too about embracing your life with the heart of a Buddha. Oh shit. Am I reading the wrong one? Which one are you reading? I actually, I think on Audible, I bought the other one. I didn't even know there were two of them. Maybe they're the same, but they're... No, actually people buy this together. It's like an entire series because she also has another book called Radical Compassion. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Because <laughs> <laughs> we could have been reading totally two different books. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what the hell are you talking about, man? Let me see. Books. All right. I'm going to her website. And you're absolutely right. There are two books. Yeah. One's about... Yeah. Embracing your life with the heart of a Buddha. And then Awakening the Love that Heals Fear and Shame. Yeah, so which one are you listening to and which one are you reading? <laughs> I'm listening to, I haven't bought the physical copy. I was just about to order it. But now you're making me make sure that I actually get both. Wait, but that's weird. So on the website, it's two books. But when I click on buy book, it's just one. Oh, you know what? That's so funny. Yeah, she has it under just one. Maybe she just changed the title the subtitle to attract different readers. Or just like over the years, she changed the subtitle. Huh. That's genius. Radical acceptance. Well, do you have the physical book? I have the Kindle version of, oh man, do I have the wrong one? <laughs> I don't know if there's a wrong one though. You know what's funny is I have the one about embracing your life with- The heart of a Buddha? Yeah. Okay, we have, we have the same version, so I'm listening to that version. Oh, no, no. I have Awakening the Love That Heals Fear and Shame. But in the About the Book section, it just talks about Buddhist teachings. You know what? I think it's just one book. 
I really think she just changed the, the subtitle. Because one says from 2003, the other says from 2004. I wonder which one made more sales. Well, the second one, the Embracing Your Life with the Heart of a Buddha. But there's no Kindle version for the first edition on Amazon. So you must have the same one. That's weird. I'm looking at Amazon right now. If I go to uh, Kindle, it's Embracing your, heart, your, your Life with the Heart of a Buddha. But you said on the inside page, it says accepting. Yeah, awakening the love that heals fear and shame within us. What's the first chapter called? Is there a forward, by the way? There's a forward, yeah. By who? It's by Jack Cornfield. Yeah, we're reading the same book. All right, everybody. <laughs> that's how we know. If you want to read along with us, read the copy that has Jack Cornfield's forward. Yeah. <laughs> is the prologue titled Something is Wrong with Me? Yes. Okay. So it seems like either book is the same. Yeah. Sounds like it's just, they just had two different editions of it. So yeah, we're going to start reading that and, and discussing that in subsequent recordings. Really looking forward to it. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Sean, do you got anything else? That's it. Thanks all for listening. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your weekend. Love one another and message us if you have any questions. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you.